0: Amen. Well, happy Sunday to you. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. If you're with us for the first time, if you're with us online, know that we're glad you're here with us. Uh, You may know the college students have officially returned back to campus. Uh, Yeah, praise God. And tomorrow is the first day back to school for our kids uh, and many of our students. And with everything that's going on in our world, Uh, There will be a lot of adjusting that will be happening this week. Uh, So be praying for our students, uh, for our kids, and for the parents as everything uh, is adjusting back this week. And before we jump into Exodus 15 today, I want to take a minute and talk about our groups that have officially resumed for this fall with both online and in-person options. I know one thing that has been made painfully obvious over the past six months is that we were wired to be in community with people. God has made us relational beings, and we need to be with people. We were not made to live in isolation, uh, and especially as followers of Christ. If we're going to live out the life that God has created us to live, we need to do it with other people who are doing the same thing, looking at God's word together, uh, holding one another accountable, and, 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 and praying for one another. You know, our three core values here at New City Church are authentic relationships, intentional discipleship, and missional urgency. And we believe that these are best lived out in our city groups. What we do here on Sunday is only half of what we do. A major part of our church is our group's ministry. This is where we can grow deeper with one another, sharpen one another, get into God's Word together, and encourage one another. You know, many of my best uh, relationships and deepest relationships in my Christian life that have encouraged me, sharpened me, and spurred me on to live, uh, live out in faith, to take risks for the gospel, these, these have developed in our groups and, and, and settings like our groups ministry. And so if you're not in a city group, we would encourage you to jump in one. You know, we've got uh, four groups all over the Tampa area, three multi-generational groups and one college group. Uh, we want to see people raised up and sent out into their community and the world with the gospel. And our groups are an integral part in this process. And so sign up and get plugged in, uh, and then see how God may grow you in a group. That said, we're going to jump into the book of Exodus today. Uh, Over the summer, uh, here at New City, we've been marching through the book of Exodus, and it's been one of those books that's hard to take in. You know, God's people were in ruthless slavery under an evil Pharaoh, and then there's 10 hard uh, and difficult plagues, and it felt like hard sermon after hard sermon, judgment after judgment, continually seeing hardship. But as we know and as we've seen, this is the Christian life, and life is not always rainbows and butterflies. Life is not always lived on the mountaintop. The Christian life is the life of of a cycle of peaks and valleys. It's a cycle of highs and lows, triumph and hardship, And, and and we see God's word reflect this and show this. Remembering that our world is broken, and so uh, it's so hard to take in at the time of the hardship. But looking back on it, we can see God's faithfulness to grow us, to prepare us, and to deepen us in these times. And God's hardship, uh, and God uses hardship and difficult seasons in our life to further anchor us, to further grow our faith in Christ. You know James says in in James one verses two and three, he says, "Count it all joy." My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We'll see that today, the idea of steadfastness. Trials help us grow in this and standing firm, and they help us to find our true anchor in Christ. This, this is what we saw last week, where, uh, where God's people were put in a hard place with nowhere to go. The Egyptians were on one side and the Red Sea on the other, and they were trapped, they were cornered, and the impending death of the Egyptians was coming at them. And Moses courageously and in faith, he tells God's people, he says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. And that's exactly what happened. Moses walked up to the sea. He lifted up the staff and God parted the Red Sea. And everyone walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, untouched. The people of Israel, they were saved, Once and for all, from the slavery of Egypt, they were in slavery for 430 years, and then in an instant, God saved them. They crossed the Red Sea. They were facing death and walked into a new life. They went from slave to free. And as we saw at the end of chapter 14 last week, God's people were left in a fearful awe. They were spurred on to greater faith, believing that the Lord can be trusted We saw a physical picture of this commonly used phrase in Christianity called salvation. God's people were saved from the judgment and slavery of Egypt. And then today, we see the proper response to salvation. We see God's people sing and worship the Lord. They praise the Lord through song, which leads us to our main point today. The Lord is worthy of praise. The Lord is worthy of praise. Our praise to God is a response to who he is and what he's done. Worship is not something we try to just create or try to manufacture. Worship is a response to the glory of God. You know, typically whenever I speak about worship, I'm very careful and intentional to talk about all of life as worship. We worship through our work. We worship through our relationships, the way we treat people. We worship the way we steward our resources, the way we use our gifts, the way we serve. These are all responses to the glory of God. These are not things we do for God's affirmation, but rather we know God is already pleased with us because of the gospel. Therefore, these things are a response to God. Giving generously is a response to the generosity God has shown us in the gospel. It's an act of worship. Caring for the poor and the orphan is a response to how God pulled us out of spiritual poverty and how he adopted us as sons and daughters in the gospel. When we engage in hobbies and sports and other activities, we can do these things in joy as an act of worship, responding to how God made us, how God created us to be creative and to think and to create and write and make beauty that reflects the glory of God. God created us to be productive, to work intentionally and carefully, to use our hands and our minds to work as worship. God created us to be active, to laugh and to play and experience joy. You know, when I'm, when I'm in good running shape, for me, running can be an act of worship. When I'm not in running shape, I'm just reminded that the world is broken. Okay? Uh, this is the, the, the world, this is, it's not how it's to be. This is, it's not this way. And I really believe that it's important for us to talk about uh, all of life as worship. And because that's, that's what Paul says in Romans 12:1 present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I bring this up because it's easy for us to isolate worship into only the category of singing as worship. But for us today, when I speak of singing, when I, when I speak of worship, I mean singing. I mean responding to God by singing to God. Our passage today is the first recorded song in the Bible. I guess we could say it's the first worship song ever written. Uh, When God's people experience the Lord's salvation, they sing. They praise the Lord through song, which leads us to a simple outline for today to help us think about singing, specifically singing as worship. And here it is. The Lord, uh, sing to the Lord. Number two, sing about the Lord. And Number three, sing to one another about the Lord. These are three specific things that we're going to see in our passage today. Uh, This is not a story. This is is a song. It's a response of praise. And as we'll see, this song, it's rich in theology. It's rich in the character of God and who God is and what God has done. That said, let's look at this song of praise in, in, in chapter 15, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. I want to stop there for a second. Verse 1, it says, The people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And in the first line of the song, the very first line it says, I will sing to the Lord. And at the end of verse 2, the song says, This is my God, and I will praise Him. This is my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Which leads us to our first point. Number one, sing to the Lord. What I want to point out here is the direction of our praise. When we gather to sing, we sing to God. We're singing to the Lord. It's not aimless singing. There is a purpose and a direction of our singing. We sing to God as worship, as a response of who he is and what he's done. You know, I have, a, I have a little secret I need to share with you. I'm not a singer, okay? I never have been. I was the kid that, was, that stood on stage uh, in a choir, in a school choir, and I would not open my mouth. I would have my mouth clenched shut, standing on, on stage, absolutely refusing to sing. And my mom would be out in the crowd. She would just be sitting there uh, smiling, trying to you know, trying to sing the words, trying to get me to sing, and I absolutely refused. Right? And when I, was, when I was in the eighth grade, one of my fine, finest moments, I had to take a choir class. And I'm embarrassed to say that I made a C in choir uh, because I would not sing. It made my parents really proud. And I showed up, I did all the work, I made good grades uh, on all the quizzes and tests, but my participation grade uh, was pathetic. It was, it was not good because... Uh, I just would not sing. I absolutely refused to sing. I eventually just started mouthing the words just to get my grade up. You know, still to this day, I often ride in my car with no music, just in silence. I love it. Silence. I would rather listen to an audiobook than music. Now, I will say, I've come a long way in the past several years. I now sing to the Lord. I sing to my kids. And sometimes I sing to my wife, Kelly. She just doesn't appreciate it, like my kids. Uh, but when I sing, and when we sing to the Lord, it's a response to who He is. It's an act of worship. It's an act of adoration to God. Every single person on the planet worship worships something. What we worship consumes our mind. It consumes our emotions. Our, 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 we change our life according to it. Our lives reflect what we worship. And so when we sing to the Lord, it's a reflection of what we worship. It's an acknowledgement of those moments. It's acknowledgement in those moments. Yes, God, I believe this to be true. God, I love you. God, I trust you. God, I need you. The cross is sufficient. Jesus is enough. Singing is a response to who God is, but it's also a command from God. God commands us to sing. We have a singing faith. We're commanded over fifty times in the Bible to sing. We sing in times of victory. We sing in times of hardship, in times of lament, in times of brokenness, in times of rejoicing and praise. We don't sing for ourselves. We don't sing so others will be impressed by our singing, and we don't sing and uh, we don't sing to come in and feel good about ourselves. We sing. We don't. You know, we don't even sing for the pur- purpose of being stirred up into an emotion for the liver quiver. <laughs> because let's be honest here: people are often stirred to emotion. In emotion. Of singing songs to gods that do not exist. We don't sing for the purpose of emotion. No, we sing to God for the praise of God. We're commanded to sing whether we feel like it or not. Why? Because it's for our good and it's for God's glory for us to sing. But get this, what's interesting about all of this being commanded to sing, regardless of our emotional state, is that when we sing to the Lord, it affects us. It spurs us to faith. It puts our perspective in check, that our life is not about us, that our life is about the Lord. I wanna be very clear about this. There is absolutely an emotion in singing that is tied to singing. There's a vulnerability in singing. The book of Songs Psalms are songs and poetry that are full of emotion. God has made us emotional beings and when we sing to the Lord we're responding with our emotion with our heart and soul singing beautifully encompasses the greatest commandment we sing to the Lord with our heart soul mind and strength this is why singing is for our good it's for it's it, we sing to the Lord the Lord built us to sing it's for the Lord's glory we sing to the Lord we sing as a response to who God is and what he has done whether we feel like it or not. To say it another way, we worship with our emotions, not for our emotions. It's very easy to base the quality of our worship based on an emotion and not based out of a declaration of who God is and what he has done. The days we don't feel like singing are the days days we don't feel like worshiping are the days that we need it the most. It's easy to worship when life is good. It's much more difficult when life is hard. And those are the days that we need to sing louder the truths that we sing. As a declaration of truth over our life, as we'll see here in a second, our emotions are part of our worship to God. We engage God with our heart, soul, strength, with our emotion, but we can't leave our minds at the door. When we come into worship through singing, there are often two dangers in our singing as worship. You know, on one side, the danger is to leave emotions at the door just completely reject it, to be calloused and hardened and struggle to bring our heart and soul, our emotions into worship. This is not to say our affections will will always be stirred and singing, but if there are never any emotion or singing of affection and singing to the Lord, then we need to ask ourselves, "Are are we bringing my heart and soul, are we bringing our heart and soul to the Lord in our singing? On the other side, The danger is to completely base our worship on our emotion and completely disregard our mind. When we look at our song today, we'll see that we have to engage our minds in what we sing. We want to sing good theology, which leads us to our second point, where we'll spend most of our time today. Number two, sing about the Lord. You know, if our if our goal in singing was to be stirred in an emotion, then we would sing songs maybe different than uh, what we sing now. You know, I mean, go to any concert. We see people stirred in emotion no matter what type of concert you go to, whether it be a George Strait concert, country, rap, hip-hop, alternative, classical music. Emotions are stirred. It's scientifically proven that music is tied to emotion. Being stirred into an emotion is a good thing or it can be a bad thing depending on the direction of our emotion. Music can stir people to anger, to unhealthy desires, to apathy, to fear, to sadness or loneliness, or it can direct people to love and peace and courage, contentment, thankfulness, and joy. It can fuel our faith. So when we sing together to the Lord, the words we sing matter. Right? The truths that we sing matter. The direction that we sing, it matters. You know, because music, it helps us remember who God is and what He's done. For example, when I want to memorize a Bible verse, I make it into a song. Desiring God, that God they have an app called Fighter Verses that put music into every one of those verses that they have on this app. And it helps us to remember God's word. We have, our, we have our kids sing so they can remember God's word, so they can know who he is and remember what he's done. We sing about the Lord. We are being equipped to remember truths about God. Whether we know it or not, We are being discipled by what we sing here on a Sunday. This is why we want to sing good theology. What we sing matters. It directs our emotions. It gives us tracks for our emotions to stay in. And it helps us to grow and remember who God is. When we sing and declare truth through song, it's a call for us to remember these things, to believe these things, whether we feel feel like they are true or not. I'll say it this way. Our theology must drive our emotion. Our emotion cannot drive our theology. And when we come in and sing about the cross and sing about God's glory and goodness and kindness, we're connecting what we know to be true in our head. We're connecting it to our heart. When we look at this song in more depth in just a second, we'll see this song is rich in declaration of the character of God, of who God is and what he's done. This, this song is the anthem that they sang for thousands of years to try to remember this incredible event of the Exodus. You know, in Revelation 15, at the very end of the Bible, when God is declaring his eternal rule over, over creation, it says, it says, sing this song. Says that this song of Moses will be sung. It says the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb will be sung, remembering uh, the Lord's good deeds. This song was a memorial that fueled their faith. It showed that, that God, has a, God is a mighty warrior and is steadfast in love. That helped them remember God's marvelous work. That said, Let's continue to look at this song that declares who God is, as seen in Exodus, starting in verse three. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host, He can He cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Verse 10, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. I want to stop there. As we see who God is, looking at the content of this song, engaging our minds with what is true. So, So who is the Lord? Our, our song in God's Word shows us 2A, our 1st subpoint. The Lord is a man of war. This is where God as warrior begins to be introduced in the Bible. They're singing about God as a warrior to remember this, to believe this. Up to, this. up to this point, we've seen God as creator. We've seen God as Yahweh to this point in the Bible. And now we're seeing God as a man of war. We touched on this some last week. We saw Moses declare that the Lord would fight for God's people. If you remember right before this, Moses said, fear not, stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. And now they've visibly seen it. They're standing on the other side of the Red Sea with this miraculous event fresh on their minds. I just imagine in this moment, them looking at the debris, you know, kind of still lingering there in the ocean, kind of coming up off the waves, the calm, quiet of the water, kind of the mist coming up off the off the ocean, gathered together, just quietly staring, gazing, just kind of in awe, looking back, thinking, did that really just happen? How how did this happen? God, you did this. They They were panicked, stuck, trapped. They were fearful, and now they're free, completely free from the slavery of Egypt and standing there in awe. And they started singing as a response that the Lord fought for them, that the Lord is a man of war, that God is a warrior. This idea of God is only a gentle lamb. It flies out the window in this song. God is both perfectly meek and gentle and also a fierce warrior. Think about about what they sang about God. Listen listen to these verses again. Verse 4, God cast chariots into the sea. He sunk chosen officers. Verse 6, God's right hand shattered the enemy. Verse 7, God overthrows adversaries and sends out his fury and consumes them like stubble. And then in verse 9, they're remembering what the enemy said they would do. And then verse 10, they sang in response that God sank the enemy like lead in the water as a mighty warrior. And as we've continually said throughout the book of Exodus, what is pictured physically in Exodus is realized spiritually spiritually through the gospel. Because here's, here's the reality of our day today. Every day, God is at war against sin. God is engaged in a spiritual war, fighting for his people. You and I, every single day, are faced in a spiritual war. We are in a war against cosmic powers, as Paul says in the book of Colossians. When we seek to advance the gospel, our enemy puts a target on our back, seeking to destroy us, seeking to do as verse 9 says in the song, which says, I will pursue you. I will overtake. I will divide my spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. We are in a cosmic spiritual war, a war against sin that seeks to destroy, that seeks to fill our desires, that seeks to overtake, that seeks to pit brothers and sisters against one another, uh, that seeks to try to overtake our emotions with fear and apathy and bitterness or discontentment, that seeks to put lies in our head, that seeks to lure us away from God. But hear this today. Jesus Christ at the cross declared victory over the war. We may lose a few battles, but the war has been declared victorious. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, died and rose again, he went to the cross as a man of war to fight and destroy and proclaim victory over the enemy. Our God is not only a gentle lamb, he is also a fierce warrior that goes to battle for his people and has already secured victory for them. And here in the book of Exodus, we're seeing a small glimmer of God as a victorious warrior, foreshadowing as we look ahead, foreshadowing what we now know as the eternal victory at the cross. And here we are today. We stand Looking even further ahead, when, we, when this victory will be fully realized and completed in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 19, at the very end of the Bible, we see that the war is over. It's done. The, and Christ reigns supreme forever and ever. <laughs> Listen to Revelation 19. We're going to read it here in a second. This is speaking of this is Jesus Christ. We see Jesus, the victorious warrior, securing the final battle and establishing eternal victory. This is what it says. Just, just listen to this with great anticipation of the great day to come as followers of Jesus. This is not a fearful day for us, but a day where God will reign victorious. Look at what it says in Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... This is something to sing and declare over our lives and that we know so that we know it and remember it and we get it stuck in our heads, fueling our faith. If you are in Christ, hear that today. God is fighting for you. And not only is he fighting for you, but he is also victorious for you. Hear hear this. If we are in Christ, our faith is secure. Think Think about the people of Israel in this moment as they're singing about God as a mighty warrior, the faith they have in this moment to move forward because God is on their side fighting for them. I mean, that was them. Think about us today. Here today, those that believe in Jesus Christ, we can know that our faith is secure Things on this earth will come and go. Emotions will come and go. Stuff will come and go. People will come and go. Diseases will come and go. But our God has secured us and our God, our warrior, will not come and go. He is eternal and he is secure. It is guaranteed that in our lifetime we will have trouble. It is guaranteed that each day we will have trouble. It is guaranteed that trials will come. We may get sick. We may lose all of our resources and money. We may lose family or friends. We may be neglected or rejected. But our God, our mighty warrior, is a valiant warrior who has declared victory over us, securing us as his own. God did not fight for his people because of their holiness, not because of their character, not because of their accolades, not because of their achievements. No, God fought for his people under the mere fact that they were his people. That's it. They were his, so they fought for him, fought for them. Listen to this. Just hear this. You're in Christ. If you believe the work that God did at the cross, God is fighting for you. God is fighting with you. God has declared you secure. That's it. No questions asked. Why? Because God is a man of war. If God were not a man of war, we would not be secure. We would be helpless and we would still be enslaved to sin. As we seek to advance the gospel here in Tampa and to the ends of the earth, remembering this truth that was sung in this song, God is a man of war. God is in the business of deliverance, of redemption and salvation. This is the war that God won at the cross. Get this. Today, right now, we're living in the victory lap. The battle has already been won. The war has already been won. As we walk through our day in Christ, we are walking victoriously. And you know what the enemy is trying to do? The enemy is trying to make us think we've lost. The enemy is trying to deject us and dismantle us. No, we completely reject that. Because of Jesus Christ at the cross, we walk through our day in victory. As followers of Christ, we seek to gather as many people as possible on our victory lap in joy. Saying, come on, come with us. We're in victory. Look where we're going. Christ has already won the battle. He's already won the war. What confidence can we have as we sing about this, as we declare this over our lives? Because listen, our, we're going to have ongoing sin struggles, <laughs> they will, but they will one day vanish. Maybe in this life, maybe in the, in the next but regardless, they will vanish. Why? Because God's a victorious warrior. God will have people from all nations worshiping him. Why? Because God is a victorious warrior. God will bring salvation into the lives of people. Why? Because God is a victorious warrior. This is why we sing. Because we are declaring in unison with our head and our heart to God what is true. We're crying out to God saying, yes, yes. I believe this. God, you are a victorious warrior. And then, and then look what follows, starting in verse 13. It says, "You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moad. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Verse 19, for when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back to the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. I love this. In verse 13, the Lord led in his steadfast love, showing to, it shows us our next subpoint to be. The Lord leads in steadfast love. The Lord is a mighty warrior, but he's not erratic and unstable. But rather he leads in steadfast love. We see God here as perfectly balanced. These are not at odds with each other. Each other. This is who God is. He's both fierce and compassionate. He's both just and merciful. He's both full of truth and grace. He's both powerful and personal. He's both courageous and stable. Something I want to point out is that when we say steadfast love here, this is not a romantic type of love. This is a commitment type of love, showing loyalty and faithfulness and stability. This is revealing his covenant-keeping promise. God's love is steadfast, unmoving, unshakable. It stands firm. It never stops, and it never fails. And then we see this song, we see uh, displayed in this song, we see this. Uh, By God leading them in his steadfast love to his holy abode, his holy place, his holy house, it says in verse 13. And then it says later on down in verse 17 that God brings them in and plants them on his mountain, his sanctuary, his place, showing the kindness and care of God. The sanctuary that is found in God hear that today, spoken over our lives. If you are in Christ Jesus, he has fought for you, not because of you or because of anything you've done or not done, but because you're his. And because you are his, he has planted you in his place, in his house, in his sanctuary, so that you may grow and be with the Lord under his stable, watch and care. God the mighty warrior through the gospel pull us out of sin and darkness and in his unmoving and steadfast love he plants us into his kingdom forever and ever where we're secure and we cannot be moved. This is what Israel wanted to sing and remember. This is what they wanted to sing and remember when everything seemed crazy. They could sing that God is loyal, unmoving, and a warrior that secured them in his place. How good is that for us here today because of the gospel where Jesus died for the sins of the world and three days later he rose again. Those that believe in him and only those that believe in Jesus Christ are deemed God's people forever. And he fights for us and secures us and he brings us in his place. He's loyal, steadfast and unmoved, standing firm on our behalf forever and ever Our security in God's place is not found in what we do or what we don't do. Our security in God's place, in God's kingdom, is found in the declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. That's it. Nothing else. When we hear these things, the reality of who God is and what he has done and who we are in Christ, we can respond in praise. We can shout and sing and dance as a response to our unmoving, steadfast warrior God declaring and remembering that this is true. We can sing and dance and shout to the Lord because we are secure in his steadfast love. We are free to run in God's redeeming grace. We are free to live honoring God because no matter how much we fail, no matter how hard we try, we're secure. because Because Jesus in our life, God is pleased with us. And because of this, we are free to worship with our emotion, with our heart, with our soul, mind, and strength, which is what we see Miriam do at the end of our passage here today in verse 20 and 21. Look what it says. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Miriam's response was to make music and sing sing. And dance to make more music, to make another song, probably with great emotion. I wouldn't be surprised if they sang this over and over and over again, repetitively, believing in faith as a declaration. Why? Because she had been set free. They had been set free from the bondage of Egypt, and they are now kept secure by God. But something I want to point out here in our third and final point something that Miriam did, not For the Lord specifically, directly, but for everyone else. It says she took a tambourine and then all the women followed after her with tambourines and they started dancing. Get this. Miriam's praise led those around her to praise the Lord. This is so good. This is so important for us today as a church. We must, number three, sing to one another about the Lord. Miriam saw God do an amazing work, and she fearlessly, she grabbed a tambourine, and she started singing and dancing, and everyone else followed her. She started singing, saying to them, singing to them, saying, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. God is victorious, sing to the Lord. God has secured you in his place, sing to the Lord. God has destroyed our enemies, sing to the Lord. Miriam's praise and encouraged others to praise. Miriam led others in worship, declaring and spurring on praise to our God who is worthy of praise. When we we sing and shout and dance before the Lord, when we sing to the Lord and about the Lord, we're encouraging others to do the same. We're exhorting others and leading others to worship. Listen, Jordan's not our only worship leader. If you are in Christ, you are a worship leader. You can lead others to worship at your seat wherever you are. If you want to serve our church, praise the Lord and sing. If you want to spur on our church, if you want to encourage a brother or sister, sing and shout and clap to the Lord. If God has stirred your heart into joy out of response to who God is and what He has done, don't hold back. Praise the Lord, sing and shout and dance before the Lord. But do you know what encourages me the most as I say all of this? When I know that people are struggling. When I know people are hurting, when I know people are in pain, when I know that people are going through a difficult time, and yet they stand firm anyways and praise the Lord in song anyways. As a declaration of standing firm in Christ, if you are struggling today, I want to call you to sing and praise the Lord anyways because God is victorious. God has brought you into his place. You are his. You are secure. He has declared victory in your life as unmoved and steadfast in love. Listen, praising the Lord, it's contagious. A heart of thankfulness is contagious. No matter what happens in this world, God is unchanging and unmoving. Our God is stable and steadfast. And our God is a victorious warrior that will not change. Our response today, our call today, is that no matter where you are, no matter how you feel, no matter what you bring here today, I want to call us to praise the Lord. I want to call us to sing to the Lord because you know why? Our God is worthy of praise. Let's pray. God, we... You are worthy. You are worthy of our praise. God, you are a mighty, victorious warrior that is also steadfast and stable in love. Father, you are war. You warrior. You have declared victory over us. If we are in Christ, we have, we have a reason to sing. We have, a, we have a reason to praise. God, you are, you are worthy of our praise when we stand and sing to the Lord. We ask this on Jesus' name.